Good morning. How you feeling? Good, good. It's good to see you. Today we're talking about mentorship. And, uh, you know, Paul wrote to his understudy Titus in chapter 2. He said, make sure that in your church that you're pastoring, you always have the older investing in the younger. The reason is because he knew that the older have more script, not just life experience, but more scriptural and spiritual experience to help those who are younger navigate seasons and struggles that they just haven't faced yet. How many of you have experienced this in your life? Amen? And how many of you are grateful you had someone who could help you navigate the things that you weren't ready for when you were facing a struggle or a season that you just, you hadn't seen yet? How many of you are grateful you had someone to walk you through it? That's right. So the Bible calls those kinds of people watchmen. A watchman is a mentor. It's a wise teacher who has more life experience and desires to pass on in the trenches real life wisdom to us in the next generation. We just closed Galatians, and Paul really served as a watchman to the church at Galatia. This is his beloved spiritual children. And he writes with them in a loving fashion a warning that they are exchanging God's grace, they're exchanging true freedom in the gospel of what Jesus had done for them for a false gospel. The Judaizers were telling them that they had to embrace a gospel that demanded their religious performance. And so he was writing, no, 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 that's not true. Do not exchange freedom for legalism. And then in, in Jude, you have another watchman who's writing to the, the, the community of Judah, new believers who have been told that everything they do is forgiven. And so they could live however they wanted to. And so instead of legalism, they are excessively living liberal. And what they're doing is they're abusing grace. And so on both extremes, which we're going to look at Jude in the month of June, on both extremes you have someone who is exchanging true freedom in Jesus for legalism or you're exchanging true freedom in Jesus for liberalism. And both are an opportunity for us to turn to our flesh, whether for religious performance or for sin. And none of those are walking in the way of Jesus. In fact, the Bible is our plumb line. It's a scriptural standpoint that brings us back to center. And when we have watchmen in our lives who know the scriptures and we've given them license to speak into us, they can always bring us back from turning right or left to center, that we would live our lives submitted to his God, God's Holy Spirit. Amen? And then bear fruit of that very spirit. Because if we turn to our flesh, guess what we bear fruit of? The flesh, because it's always opposed to the spirit. So Proverbs 13, 20 says... That if you want more wisdom, then walk with someone who is wise. You have the opportunity to capitalize on what your mentor has learned. Avoid similar mistakes and implement principles and practices with a, true, uh, with a proven track record. And so while we have just closed Galatians and we're about to get into Jude, we're going to take two weeks to look at spiritual community, gospel community that involves both uh, a watchman and workman. Watchmen are the people that you are following. They're the mentors that they speak into your life and they speak truth, bring you back to center. But workmen are the people that you are working and walking alongside and those who are following you. You have to have both if you're going to have true biblical community. And if, if we are ever going to grow, mentors are imperative to our growth as a disciple. If we're going to grow and, and grow in the ways of Jesus and in His likeness, in His image, then we got to have people that can speak into us because gospel community requires two things. It's not just the people involved. 
It involves those people exercising truth and love. How many of you are grateful that you have people in your life who speak to you the truth in a loving way? Amen. So today we're going to look at Ezekiel 3. We're going to look at five verses, 16 through 21. And it's really a difficult call that Ezekiel is placed uh, upon by God. He is given a call that is really hard. But before that, there are 14 verses where it expresses how God gave him this call and where he was when he got it. How many of you have ever had that time with the Lord? We're just saying closer. You have that time with the Lord where like everyone else fades away. You kind of get in your own worship closet and you're not even concerned about anybody else. You're just there with the Lord and you don't want to leave that space. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Ezekiel's coming out of a moment like that to go straight into a really difficult uh, ministry assignment. And how many of you have ever been handed by God a difficult ministry assignment? He's called you to go speak to someone the truth, and you are afraid they might reject me, they may turn away, they may hurt, they may be hurt by this, and I don't want to lose a friend out of this process. Okay? So, I want to tell you in advance, it's always more important when we look through Ezekiel 3, you're going to see it's far more important that we are obedient to worship through it. We are obedient more to God's word than we are to others' feelings. Amen? So, Ezekiel 3 says this, And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. This won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. He said, Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and he tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure language or different language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people who you can't understand or can't understand you, but surely if I had sent you to them, if I had sent you to another culture, they would have listened to you. But to the house of Israel, I'm sending you and they will not listen to you. They're not willing to listen to you because they're unwilling to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. And then he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully. Take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or they fail to listen. Verse 14. Then the Spirit came upon me and lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness and in anger. I came to the exiles who lived amongst Tel Aviv near the Kibar River, and there they were living. I sat among them for seven days overwhelmed. So here's this time that Ezekiel is with the Lord. And it even says, I jumped over, it says he hears the, he hears the rushing of angels' wings. He's in a holy moment. And again, how many of you have had this moment? Hands raised. So he's in a holy moment with the Lord. And it says in verse 14 that God takes him from this moment straight to his difficult ministry assignment. And he goes, I went in bitterness and anger. I didn't want to leave this moment. I don't want to go do this. How many of you ever heard, I don't want to go do this, okay? 
But if Ezekiel doesn't go do this, these exiles, the Israelites, who have unfaithfully turned from their God and worshiped other gods, and they've been sent into exile because of it, if, unless God graciously sends Ezekiel, and unless Ezekiel worships the Lord by being obedient to everything God has said to him and goes directly to the people that he's been commanded to speak to, they start to lose hope. In fact, it'll go on in Ezekiel and it'll say that God will speak to Ezekiel and even tell them how to organize themselves while they're in exile in Babylon. He's going to tell them how to live amongst the Babylonians even while they're in exile. And and that's just the grace of God. How many of you have ever been walking in sin and God still sends people to speak into your life? And God still graciously lets you live when you should be dead. And God still graciously allows blessing in your life when it shouldn't be there, even when you choose your own way over His. So the mentor is incredibly important. The watchman in spiritual community is incredibly important. And here's why. How many of you have ever had to face some tough stuff? And you didn't know how to navigate it. Can I encourage you, if you only have people in your life who are as dumb as you are, you're going to struggle. Okay? You need some people who've been there, they're smart, they're wise, and they can give you the scriptures. They can lead you and counsel you the way that they need to go. So, Ezekiel served in this way to the Israelites. Ezekiel served to remind the people of God that God's way was better, even though they had turned from him and were now exiled because of it. Ezekiel's call was to be faithful to God and to share God's word primarily. Too often we get this context uh, removed and we miss this. Too many people believe that we as, as the church today have the same intense call as Ezekiel. But that would be to miss the context of his call. His call was not to be obedient to the people. His call was to be obedient to God. His call is to be obedient to God's word. And we all can identify with that. So Ezekiel's call is to be faithful to share God's word with more emphasis on telling God's truth than it was staring down people's sin. How many of you have an accountability partner or have had an accountability partner that spends more time talking about your failures than they do God's victory in your life? So we have to be very mindful of who we choose as watchmen and workmen in our lives. God sends Ezekiel, though the Israelites had betrayed him. They had, they had turned from the Lord and they had chosen that the world's way was better. And this broke the Lord's heart. They had exchanged what was perfect and eternal for that which was temporary and passing away. And I got to tell you, I, I can identify with this. How many of you have ever taken the grace of God and just dismissed it and abused it in your life? And God was still gracious with you and sent people who loved you enough to be honest with you. God doesn't want for his people to choose captivity over freedom. It breaks his heart. But I said a moment ago that he sent Ezekiel even when they were in captivity to teach them how to live amongst the Babylonians, how to organize themselves. So what he, was, what he was doing was he was being gracious and sending Ezekiel to the Israelites even when they weren't going to choose God's way he was loving them enough to go, okay, if you're going to choose, if you're going to choose the world, you're going to choose its way, I'm going to teach you how to best navigate that because I love you. Man, isn't God good? Gosh. He doesn't want captivity for his people. So again, Ezekiel was called to be faithful to share God's word with more emphasis on telling God's truth than he was staring down people's sin. 
One commentary wrote it like this. Ezekiel fulfilled his role as a watchman, not primarily by observing others, but by faithfully proclaiming God's word and bringing God's warning to the people. God was gracious to provide a watchman at all. And that's what I hear in this. The call of God is to be faithful to his word, which, by the way, will never return void. But the faithfulness to his word through, through even though it'll be offensive to the flesh. He says it right here. They will reject you because they first rejected me. They're not going to like you. They're going to be obstinate and hard, but I'm going to make you harder. So they are going to, what I'm putting in your mouth, though it may be sweet to you as honey, is going to be offensive to them. It's going to offend their flesh. But if you're faithful, this will not lead to death for my people. If you're faithful, there's an opportunity for eternal life for the wicked, for the lost. And there's opportunity for abundant life for the believer and for you, the watchman, to press in closer to me, to go to another level of intimacy with me. And how many of you know that Jesus desires abundant life for us? So when we're obedient to his word, there's abundant life for us, his people. So first point, the call of God was to be faithful to his word. This leads to life for everyone. See, Ezekiel had been in the presence of God. He had that sweet moment where he was closer with him. He received the sweet word from God, and he was handed the very difficult task of telling a people that we're going to reject this word, but lovingly rebuke them anyway. Ezekiel's call meant a warning of death for them and uh, accountability for himself. There's really an intensity around life or death when it comes to the prophet Ezekiel, but this is where we don't identify can I, can I share with you, like we identify by being obedient to God's word and doing whatever God asks us to, okay? But there's a true blood on the hands for Ezekiel. That doesn't exist for us as people today. Why? Because we live post the cross. We have full revelation of God's word. And while we are responsible to share, there is no guilt in sharing the gospel with others. That's just called fulfilling the great commission. In our lives, what we have is life. And so he is saying, if you desire... Uh, to live in intimacy with me, then you need to realize you don't approach life for victory. You approach life from victory. Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no judgment, no death for those. So for anyone who's ever heard this preached and you've been told that, or you've been made to feel a guilt trip because you don't share your faith, let me encourage you, let the weight come off. That's not... That's not what this text is teaching. Now, do we have a responsibility to live in gospel community and tell the truth of people even if it's difficult? This means yes. Do we have a responsibility to offer hope to a lost world because Jesus has changed our lives and is the only thing that's going to change them? This means yes. But there is no guilt for those who are in Christ. Amen? Okay. We are called to be the watchmen to those who are walking with us and to those who are following our lead. Parents, how many of you feel the weight of watching your children's two little eyes stare and mimic everything you do. I recognized how powerful it really was when I saw my oldest son look at me for the first time and mimic exactly what I did because I am his deepest and heaviest spiritual influence in his life as his parent. But there are people that right now, whether it be at work or at your home or in your neighborhood, that are walking with you or they are watching how you walk and you have opportunity to give them hope. We are to be unto those who are our brothers, or our sisters right here in this room, who are struggling. We're to be in their lives either a sharpening exhortation 
or an edifying assurance leading to God's way rather than our own, rather than their own. Amen? We're to bring them back to center, not to the right or the left. This is true in loving gospel community within his church. Unto the lost, we can offer them the hope of eternal life. Let's go back and read verses 18 and 19. It says this, When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and do not warn them. When I say to you, to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. If you do warn the wicked, then and they do not turn from their wickedness or their evil ways, they will surely die, but you will have saved yourself. Here's what he's trying to say here, and this is it. I'm going to go back to the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. He said, Father, may they know, meaning the lost world, may they know that you have sent me by the unity and the love that my brother and sister have for one another. He said, may my church be one like you and I are one so that the world that is in need of hope, who is lost and without me, will know that it was your plan to save them by sending me their one and only hope. Amen? Was Jesus our only way to the Father? This means yes. Okay? He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But God's strategy, and Jesus gives it away to us as he prays to the Father in John 17, was that they would know the truth of God sending his only begotten son as a means to save the world, the only means to save the world, based on the love and unity evident in his church for one another and for the world. The world looks at us and by our unity measures whether we actually worship and trust Jesus the way that we say that we do, by the way that we're willing to come out of those moments where we are in our prayer closet and God has clearly told us something and he has sent us to a brother or sister, either as a watchman or a workman, and we're going to go speak that truth, even if that truth is difficult and that's going to be lovingly received and the person receiving is going to be teachable. Because we want to edify and we want to sharpen and we have that call in each other's lives. That offers a world that has no hope, that only lives in a selfless world, one that continually just seeks and looks out for itself. When it sees a church that lives and acts like that, Jesus' high priestly prayer to the Father says, this is the lost world's only hope. To know and be assured that, Father, you sent me to save them. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is looking at a church right now that's pretty fractured, pretty disagreeable, and they're, here's the thing, in our own arrogance, we're getting all over social media to share it. Is it okay to say that? I think if Jesus were to speak directly to us right now, and I think he is. He might ask us if we're embarrassed. Is there a unity amongst his people? So without a unity amongst his people, how can there be a hope for his lost world? Amen? It is our privilege and our call to evangelize the world. It's not a guilt trip. 
It is our privilege to serve as his ambassadors, reflecting his selfless love to those who only know a selfish world, one that we were all saved from. And when they inquire of our love, when they inquire of our source of love, evidenced by the fruit of his spirit, we gladly share. How many of you have been given supernatural patience in a moment when you shouldn't have had it? How many of you have been given supernatural self-control in a moment when you shouldn't have had it and that spoke to someone that was watching your example? I believe that God uses this stuff because he's the one who is Lord and he's the one who's in control. So this isn't a guilt trip, but listen, church, it is the Great Commission. We are his church and thus called to make disciples of all nations. The only way that we make disciples is if we live in love and unity with one another so that they have hope and give us opportunity to share the reason for our hope, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He was our hope. He is their only hope. Amen? We as church serve as watchmen to one another and as watchmen to a seeking world. And when we do worship and we are obedient, even in the difficult things, we step into another level of intimacy with our Father. We step away from our flesh and we step into that next step in the Spirit with Him. And it is abundant life for the people we're speaking to as the watchmen, and they're, they're the workmen listening, but it also, it speaks abundant life for us as the watchmen. I'll, I'll prove it to you. How many of you have ever had to do that really difficult thing and you were obedient to do it and it went better than you ever expected and you walked away just relieved because you were obedient? Amen. How many of you were the recipient of someone needing to give you loving truth because they saw the landmines that you didn't see? They came to you, they helped you navigate it, and you were grateful that they did, and you're alive today because of it. Experiencing spiritual life at another level. Amen. Well, that's the benefit of us being obedient to God's word. It's life for us, the believer, abundant life, but it means eternal life for the lost, which we just talked about. Abundant life for the believer, I want to liken to a coach. I was thinking about this as I was trying to uh, come up with a way to illustrate how I felt about this. So back when I was 12 years old, I had a coach that was incredibly difficult. Anyone have a hard coach in life? Like a really hard coach. Had this really hard coach. He was my all-star coach. I was our starting shortstop, and we were trying to get to the World Series in Pennsylvania. We had beaten everyone else in the state of Florida, and we were working hard to get there. And I'm at practice one day, and my coach, who, man, he had played professional ball, and he loved me, but man, this guy was so hard on me. And so I'm sitting at shortstop, and I, he hit a ball that got through. And when it got through, I hung my head like this. Ever seen this? Ever done this? I hung my head. Immediately, he decided to make an example of me for the entire team to witness. He grabbed a fungal bat and starts just hitting peas at me, hitting as hard as he can, right from first baseline, straight at shortstop. He's hitting to my glove side. He's hitting to my backhand. He's hitting him as hard as he can. And he starts hitting him so hard and so fast that he himself's running out of breath. Like he is working hard. I'm getting to everything. There's no way I'm letting another ball get through. He hit like 20, 25 in a row and I'm able to get to him. And I remember the last one that I got to because I'm huffing now too. I can't imagine doing what I did at 12 now that I'm in my 40s. Wouldn't happen. <laughs> but I got to my backside, picked a ball and he immediately hit one straight up second. I just could not 
get there. Even dove laid out and couldn't get it. It got through. And he stopped practice with everyone looking. And he yelled, you are not God's gift to shortstop. And that crushed my spirit. My center fielder, who's a pretty sarcastic guy, turned around and goes, hey, coach, maybe he is because he's got like 25 of those in a row. And so, and we all started, we all started laughing, you know, and co- coach kind of let it down at that point. But until that moment, he had something he wanted me to learn. And it was a hard lesson that I didn't want to hear and I didn't want to look, I, I didn't want to learn. But that was this, you are not perfect. And you don't have to perform as if you're perfect out here. You are going to miss balls. They're going to get through. There are going to be shots that you can't get to. You're going to boot a ball, and you're going to cause an error that's going to allow a run to happen. That will take place. But just like your center fielder spoke up, your team will be here when it happens and will win and lose as a team, and I, your coach, will be right here with you. How many of you, that's encouraging? To know that you can fail, but you will not fail alone. That's what gospel community is about. And for the eternal life that it offers hope to the lost, I had lost guys on my team. And in that moment, I was lost. But I had hope in that moment that I wasn't going to be alone and that I could mess up and it wasn't going to ruin me. I didn't have to be perfect. How many of you, just knowing you don't have to be perfect, lets you breathe? That your status with the Lord, your status in his church, isn't dependent on your trophies, isn't dependent on your performance. It doesn't make him love you any more or any less. And when you fall down, you're going to fall forward, and he's going to be right here with you. My life verse is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is, I'm always going to be here and I'll never break a promise to you. That's abundant life, folks. That's abundant life to know that you can fail like that and know that you've got someone there and you've got others there because he gave us each other to pick you up. That's good news. Amen? So gospel community involves a couple of people. It involves the workmen. This is your fellow believer. These are the people that you're walking with and you are together trying to work and excavate the kingdom of God and its advance in the lives of this lost world. They're walking with you and they're following behind you. Someone is watching your lead and someone is watching you next to you. But then there's the watchman who is your listening mentor who knows more than you scripturally, spiritually, just by life experience. And if they really are a mentor to you who's listening, they know you. And they know the places where you are more likely to fail. They, ha- they know you and they know your strengths and they're very acquainted with your weaknesses. How many of you have someone like this in your life? You need to. You need to have this person in your life so they can speak directly into you. I picked this up from Dan Britton and Jimmy Page who co-authored the, the book Wisdom Walks. It's a great resource. I encourage you to read that book, but here it is. They gave me four characteristics of a watchman. If you don't have a watchman in your life or you want to know how to be a true watchman in the lives of others, these things better be evident. Number one, a watchman pours out what God has poured into them by his word. Where did we find Ezekiel? 
He was there with the Lord worshiping, and out of that moment, that holy moment, he's taken immediately into a difficult ministry assignment. If you read the rest of Ezekiel 3 from 20, verses 22 on, what you're going to find is God actually takes him straight out of that difficult ministry assignment where he was obedient, and he takes him straight back into the presence of the Lord in another holy moment. How many of you are grateful that God goes before you, and he's also going to come behind? Yeah. Amen. So he says this, God pours out in the life of the watchman, pours into them in those holy moments, and then that watchman's gonna pour that out into anyone who is walking with them or following them, gonna pour out of the workmen. So if you need a watchman, you gotta find someone who's being poured into by God. And if you wanna be a watchman, listen, if you never spend time with God, but someone's following your lead, and all you have to do is give them, all you have is their, your opinion to give them, you are robbing them. If you don't know his truth and you don't have something vibrant coming out of that holy, closer time with the Lord that can be poured into someone else, you are robbing the people following you. So make sure that you're being poured into, you're letting God give you his full revelation. He's given you it all so that others can benefit from it. Second, they share life experiences. Man, I loved, I used to love sitting down with my grandpa and he'd tell me stories about the war. How many of you love that stuff? Places I'd never been, navigating landmines I'd never seen. A mentor, a watchman is always going to share life experiences. And usually, more times than not, they're the seasons and the struggles that you've yet to face. But they've come out on the other side. They've been through that fire and they can tell you exactly how they got through it and how you can navigate it well yourself. Thirdly, they apply the word to your circumstances. I just said this, but I'm going to say it again. If you're offering the world... And your church, the people you're walking with, only your opinion, you're robbing them. And if people are only offering you, well, here's what I feel. Stop listening. Does it make sense? If they're only offering you their opinion, it's not worth listening to. If they lead with the scriptures say, I'm listening. My ears are perking up. This is what God says. So they apply your word, his word, to your circumstances. And lastly, they help you navigate life well. They have you navigate the things that you are walking through well because they're doing it as worship just as much as you're seeking to worship. Amen? So, when we're faithful to God's word, like Ezekiel tells us, he had an obedience to God's word. That's how he was worshiping. It was more about the word than it was about people's feelings. When we, his church, are obedient to him and worship him by obeying his word and doing even the difficult things, it means life for us that is abundant. It means life eternal for the lost. So I'm going to ask the band to come back as we bring this to a close. And I'm going to ask you a couple simple questions. And the first one is this. Will you take up the mantle of your call as a watchman in the lives of both your brother and your lost neighbor. Church, that's why you exist. That's why we're here. We're here to ex like walk together in loving community in a sense of love and unity so that, so that the world might have hope. And then, because of our hope and because of our fruit, share the truth of, our, of Jesus with them. Jesus was and is your and I's only hope. When did when did your and I's only hope become something different for them? It didn't. 
So stop allowing them to seek things that are temporal. Stop allowing them to seek things that are passing away. That leads to exile. That leads to death. But life is found in us, his church, being obedient to his word and being obedient to live it and to love like it. Amen? Today in gratitude for Jesus and in gratitude for those who first taught you the word of God. And I'm going to ask a show of hands. How many of you had someone who served as a watchman in your life and you're here today because they did? Amen. Hebrews 13.5 says, Remember those who first taught you the word of God and imitate their faith. Because you're called to be a watchman in someone else's life. Who's invested in you? And who are you investing in? And if you don't have a watchman, maybe right now your next step in this moment is to truly pray about who can really do and serve in your life in the capacity of those four things I just listed, those four characteristics. Who would you allow into your life to know you, give license to speak into you so that you might grow in the ways of Jesus and stop fumbling through life, struggling, because that person you know is going to be obedient to God's word more than they are your feelings. So Father, this morning we come and we just ask that you'd have your way with us. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the community that was built because of what he did on the cross. We're thankful that we don't have to perform. We don't have to be perfect. We could never outperform what he's already done. And because of that, we get to walk alongside other really imperfect people. And we get to have the counsel and the full revelation of your word to navigate us through life, to draw us to one another, to, to teach us to love one another like you would in unity. And that offers people who don't know you hope. You are our only hope, Jesus, and you are theirs. So may we live and love like it. We're responding to you right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.